I'm thrilled to announce that TSK has returned as headline sponsor for another season. We all see that the world of work has changed. We've seen a true workplace revolution in the last few years. The line between work and life is blurred. We believe the fundamentals of this change is here to stay. When you're a leader in that environment, you're probably having those ongoing questions through the uncertainty, questions around how we can draw people back to the workplace, how we can stay competitive, where are staff supposed to work, and we measure office utilization. How do we transition into hybrid working? How do we maintain the company culture and how much space do we actually need? Why do we even need an office? TSK has spent over two decades helping some of the world's biggest brands to create inspiring places to work for their people. Working with them to create robust workplace strategies, creative design solutions, and quality built environments. TSK's track record is impressive and we wanted to share some of those insights and stories with our listeners here on the Workable Podcast. Well-known global brand, Kellogg's, has always maintained their values for a concrete and positive company culture, expressing this as hashtag like at K. This was most important at the Dublin offices, home of the Kellogg's European headquarters. In 2019, TSK, our headline sponsor, began working with Kellogg's to realize their dream workplace to help their local and European community thrive. But then an unforeseen global event turned the project on its head. More on that later in the show. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Kayla Parker, and today we're going to hear from an operator repurposing former retail space. Last week, we took you to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and this week, we're going to take you across the pond to New Jersey. I'm joined by Snake Adaki, a founder of From Here. In this episode, Snake shares how she's lowering the economic barriers to entry for people who are self-funding their own workspaces. Snake says From Here serves the 95% of the people who do not need a traditional office, and we hear how she's providing commitment-free work close-to-home workspaces in neighborhoods that people can tap into by the day or as little as an hour. Snay shares her big vision for her co-working brand, but we kick off with how she got started and where the company is today. I find it interesting that she's unlocking value in small former retail spaces, and by small I mean sub-5,000 square feet. I should point out this conversation you're about to hear was recorded a few months ago, and I'm pleased to share that Snay has just passed final inspections and will be opening the next location she mentions in this episode. Also, for everyone not in the United States, a reminder that Snay is based in New Jersey, so when she talks about first floor, she's referring to ground floor. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Earlier in the show, we introduced the beginning of a workplace transformation for Kellogg's European headquarters. To tell you more about that story, let's hear from the design and build team behind the project, TSK. Our existing relationship with Kellogg's spanned back to 2018, when we designed and delivered their world-class UK head offices in Manchester. We were ready to raise the bar in Dublin, 
building a strategy to see the team move from two buildings into one unified, open plan and connected space at Dublin Airport. The design had been agreed, work was already underway, then COVID hit. Headlines like, the office is dead, is remote working here to stay, were circulating and businesses around the globe were reconsidering what the purpose of the office was for them. But if anything, it solidified the work we were about to do. We wanted to create a space which is more representative of our brand, the way we've innovated and changed in the market. We wanted our offices to look and feel like that as well. It sort of comes back to our four C's about connection, creativity, culture and collaboration. Sine is founder and CEO of From Here, a network of commitment-free on-demand workspaces operated by her and her team. She was featured on Forbes' Next 1000 list in 2021, and From Here was recognized in Bloomberg's 50 startups that rose as America locked down in September 2022. Sine launched her first startup in June 2019 called Locus, an enterprise technology solution and two-sided marketplace that facilitates co-working within hotels in New York City. The pilot was set to launch in April 2020, but postponed by some global event called COVID-19. Prior to launching her own companies, Snay had an expansive career in human resources that revolved around curating the best employee experience, developing people-centric technologies, and being a trusted business partner for leaders at all levels. Snay has written about and presented on numerous topics that impact today's workforce, leaders, and companies, and she holds a Master's of Arts in Industrial Organizational Psychology and Bachelor of Science in Neural Science from New York University. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Snay. Oh, thank you so much for having me today, Caleb. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yeah, me too. You know, what, what I'd like to say to everyone listening right now, obviously, this is just going to be sort of two operators talking shop, but uh, just to give you some back story, you know, Snake and I met on LinkedIn almost two years ago now. Actually, maybe you should probably say this part. How, how did we meet? Like you, you reached out to me or I, re- yeah, I think you sent me an email, but. Yes, I sent you a, a cold LinkedIn message. So I truly appreciate <laughs> you following up with me. You know, at the time in September, 2020, I was just pivoting off of my first, unfortunately failed co-working space concept with hotels. So ahead of my time there. And I was looking at people in the industry that were doing really exciting things with co-working. And I remember I had reached out to you and you had started to talk about space as a service. And it's something that I hadn't quantified or defined. And you had done it so beautifully. And so I had reached out to you and I said, look, I'd love to just run this idea by you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. And you were kind and generous enough to offer your time and your thoughts. I've been following you ever since and, you know, I'm just so excited to finally be a part of this conversation and, and talking about how far I've come as well as you in that time frame. Well, it's, and I remember that first conversation vividly and, and what I took away from that was your, your energy and your desire to learn. So I'm excited to you know, hear more and get an update on how you're doing. I know you've opened up your, your next location after the hotel project. Now you're expanding on that. So I want to get caught up. So just to set the stage, if you can maybe tell us a little bit more about where you're at now and where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. So very simply put, from here is your neighborhood workspace. I think based on all the different co-working models and opportunities that were out there, especially at that time when the pandemic started and, you know, for me and my business partner personally, Scott Sussman, we were in the suburban neighborhoods and outside of 
maybe the library or a coffee shop, there was really nowhere to work from or meet from or connect from. And so in my mind, I was like, what I really need, and I'm probably going to date myself here, but what I really need is an internet cafe, like very simply put. But I want the amenities of a co-working space. So a private office or a phone booth to take a call from, a meeting room. And there was really nothing like that out there. And so with no background in commercial real estate or brick and mortar business, I went off venturing in the summer of 2020, looking for different spaces that could potentially become home to this modern internet cafe um, for the people like me that were either now working remotely full-time from the suburbs or were in some sort of hybrid schedule, which was, you know, slowly evolving over time. And for reference, I'm based out of New Jersey. So here- Where, in- where, where in New Jersey? Um, so I'm very specifically based in central Jersey. So in where we opened up our first workspace, fast forward, is in Plainfield, New Jersey. So this is Union County. And where we're fortunate enough to build our second workspace is in West Windsor Township, uh, very specifically Princeton Junction. And so these two parts of New Jersey were right next to the train station. There's a large entrepreneurial population, which I think I can't wait to speak to you about in just a minute. And these are areas where we know that people are likely experiencing some sort of remote or hybrid work schedule and really need a place outside of their home for a couple of hours or maybe the day just to be more productive and to be more collaborative. Yeah, I want to kind of go back because our first conversation was in 2020 in September. So that was that was before vaccines. That was in in the middle of lockdowns and uh, or maybe in between lockdowns, depending on where you live. But um, (laughs) Like you had this idea to start a co-working space for people coming into work in the middle in the middle of a pandemic, and obviously now we're coming out of that. Fingers crossed. I mean, was this an idea that was brewing for a long time pre-COVID, or did it just come out of the air? Let me tell you, a lot of people thought we were crazy when we're talking about people gathering in communities <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, but you know, to 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 take a quick step back here. So prior to launching from here, um, I was about to launch a company called Locus. And the idea or the mission there was very similar. I realized through my background in human resources and being a remote worker myself and working in tech and startups that outside of these more traditional co-working companies or maybe your office where where your company um, is headquartered, there really weren't places in the community to work from. And many of us, right, prior to even pandemic, we're, we're trying to work from hotel lobbies, trying to work from coffee shops, having to take that lunch or dinner meeting, um, having conversations at bars and happy hours. But as much as these spaces made the cut, they really weren't conducive to work. And so the thought that I had come up with with Locus was there are all these hotel lobbies that existed in New York City, and they were going unused and underutilized. And people were kind of naturally starting to work from there, right? We started to see some of that happening with the Ace Hotel as an example. But many people didn't know that you could walk into a hotel and be able to work from there. Mm -hmm. And so I had partnered with a bunch of boutique hotels in New York City and essentially created um, what I call kind of the Airbnb for co-working out of hotels. And the, the opportunity was, how do we take these unused, underutilized spaces and allow people to work there by the day and by the hour, no commitment? right? That was a very firm part of my model was that it had to be commitment free. People didn't want to be caught up in these monthly commitment models where it didn't make sense for them based on what they were doing. And by the day and by the hour felt like the right amounts of time um, and commitments for people to, you know, work in uptown one day, midtown the other day. Um, You know, Caleb, if you and I were, were, um, you know, living in, in New York City and 
we just needed somewhere to meet for a couple of hours between our meetings, where would we go? And so that was a problem that I was solving for. And so when the pandemic happened and I was supposed to launch this company in April of 2020, so we can all fill in the dots as to what happened there, New York City hospitality pandemic, what was the pivot for me, right? The initial pivot was sitting on my couch eating Pop-Tarts with my son watching (laughs) Paw Patrol for, you know, for, for a couple of weeks. But then the pivot was, how do we still create this, but have the focus be the suburban communities and, and those workers that were, you know, going into the cities, going into headquarters, maybe consulting and traveling all over the, you know, the country and the world. But what was the solution for them if that co-working model, Monday through Friday, nine to five, monthly commitment didn't make sense for them? And so that's really where this came from. Um, and then that's, again, where, you know, I need an internet cafe, but the amenities of a co-working space, does that hybrid exist out there in the world? And how do we make that possible through commercial real estate? I had this vision of wanting to be a first floor walk up. Um, you know, I go and pick up my dry cleaning. I go next door to grab a cup of coffee and I'm able to go into my workspace and work from there for as many hours as I need, depending on how it fits into my lifestyle. Okay. So fast forward to today, you've got your first location open and is it, does it meet your vision? Is it ground floor? walk in, drop in for the day, you sticking with the no commitment. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your first location. Of course. So our first location, again, is located in Plainfield, New Jersey. We're right in downtown. We are first floor commercial real estate. Um, We have 3,600 square feet here. You say 3,600 square feet. That's right. 3,600 square feet. Okay. All right. I'll keep going because I have some more questions around that in a moment. Yes, yes. Um, and, um, you know, we, we came up, I came up with a formula. So I definitely want to talk about square footage to amenities and things like that, because that's why it works in commercial real estate. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to afford it. And so, um, again, we're, we're in downtown Plainfield. We are um, in the heart of the city. So first floor, 3,600 square feet. We took a formal liquor store um, and completely gutted it and renovated it from the inside out. So when I tell you um, for our first project, for people that had no prior experience in remodeling and renovation. Um, We took on a very challenging project, but we were fortunate that the property owners of this building wanted to provide a solution to the community and add value. So very early on, we had a partner in crime here who wanted to shut down a a very profitable liquor store who was paying the rent um, and actually open up a co-working space. And so we just met them at the right point in journey where they wanted an owner operator and uh, we came in. And then did you get connected with them through a broker? Did you find them in a networking event? How did you bump into them? Yeah, it just happened to be a friend of a friend. And, you know, we were uh, talking about co-working. They knew what I was doing from a locust perspective. And so we jumped in and I said, look, I'd love to come down and see what you're doing. I'm actively pivoting. Anything I could do to help you or vice versa, anything I could do to learn from you, right? Because this is the space that I want to be in. And so... In the process, we picked up a landlord, we picked up an investment partner, and we picked up someone who wanted to help us with our vision at a time, um, you know, Caleb, to our earlier point where we just had no idea what was happening in the world and we weren't ready or sure about when our space would be open to the public safely. But we knew that we had the ability to create something beautiful here while the rest of the world figured out what they wanted to do. Okay, well... I mean, what serendipity that you have there to be able to have a friend of a friend, as they always say, your your network is your net worth here. And it sounds like you've got a good partner. Maybe I should apologize for asking and getting into the details here, but I'm sure people want to know this because I certainly do. Are you on management agreement with him? Are you taking a lease or can you talk about the structure that you have in this partnership? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we did a traditional lease, but at the same time, they thoroughly helped us with our build-out costs. They knew that they had to do a full gut renovation, and so they helped us quite a bit with those expenses. And the reason we went with the traditional lease is because it was one of the models that we wanted to test out. You know, I think very ambitiously to fast forward maybe to the end of our conversation, but our goal is to flip this into a franchise. I think that's what we've envisioned, and that's at least what we're on track for right now. And so We know that when it comes to franchising, there's a variety of different ways that that could happen. So here we wanted to experience a traditional lease opportunity. And that also opened us up to quite a bit of funding at the city and state level, which I'd also love to get to at some point in our conversation. And so we opted for a traditional lease, um, five-year lease, five-year renewal. And we were extremely thoughtful about what the lease agreement contained in order to ensure that we protected ourselves that we gave ourselves a little bit of wiggle room to to fail, succeed, whatever that might look like, and to also allow the property owners to opt out when they felt like maybe this wasn't moving in the right direction. So there was a lot of thoughtfulness that went into the lease itself, as well as the financial support that we received from them to be able to, again, you know, open the space and, and have it look as beautiful as it does. Well, we certainly won't get into the details of the wiggle room, but it sounds like you both were smart, but also went in with a, a win-win partnership view on this. So, you know, kudos to you. I want to go back to the 3,600 square foot because, you know, in all the models that I've done, 3,600 square foot, when you think about infrastructure and overheads, build out costs and the amount of revenue you can generate to provide an ROI on that, that's hard to stack up. So how did, how are you making this stack up in the, in your model? Of course. And, and, you know, um, to be fair, the model that we created for this, um, our largest space size that we're looking at, which is what we're building in Princeton Junction right now, would be 5,000 square feet. Um, And our goal is to be flexing somewhere between 2,500 square feet and 5,000 square feet. And so again, right, if I go back to my very initial thought that we're we're trying to operate this like a, almost like a hub, right? Uh, Again, internet internet cafe meets co-working space. And so here in 3,600 square feet, We've been able to have two large conference rooms, three small conference rooms, six private offices, which are um, built out slightly larger than a a phone booth to to give some context. We have a full communal kitchen, a beautiful communal kitchen back here, two restrooms, a small wellness room, and probably about 1,800 square feet of open uh, workspace and uh, lounge area. So we really sharpened our pencils and worked very closely with our architect to maximize our space, um, to also ensure that we had enough open space to have this become a uh, event rental, um, which is another big part of our business model. I think when you would walk in, you'd be like, how do they do that with 3,600 square feet? And it's, we were very thoughtful about every square inch of our space. Sounds like it. Wow. Um, I have seen a virtual tour on the last call we had, and uh, you know, you, you, you've done a hell of a job, I can say that. But let's, let's talk about the commitment-free model now, because you just mentioned private offices, but you're not renting those private offices out to people who want a, an office space on a, on a long-term commitment, right? That's exactly right. So our space, for the most part, is hourly and daily. So commitment-free, that was a very, very large part of our value proposition that we wanted to provide to our neighborhood workspace guests. Very early on when we were doing a lot of our initial conversations to really understand what would be the right fit for suburban neighborhoods, the majority of the people shared that they wanted the flexibility to come and go as it made sense for their work schedule and whether it be on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, or honestly, minute by minute. My kiddo is crying and I need to get out of the house and take a really important call. And so the commitment-free model allowed us to 
what I say is serve the 95% of the people out there that didn't need a traditional co-working space Monday through Friday, nine to five. And that also made sure that we were able to lower the economic barriers to entry for the majority of people out there that are likely self-funding um, their ability to work from a co-working space and be able to maximize the time that they have there without going outside of their budget or their financial capabilities. So commitment-free is a big part of our model. Fascinating. And uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting because uh, in commercial real estate, uh, one, a couple of things I've noted here is that, in, you know, tr- traditionally commercial real estate, we want long-term commitments, as yes. much money as possible from, from that customer and customers who, you know, have a strong credit history or, or covenant here in the UK. And you've sort of taken the opposite approach, but you've got the lease, so you're taking on the risk. Right. But then at the same time, while you are taking on the risk, your lease with your landlord is only as good as your business is. So how is your landlord partner in this case? How are they feeling about your commitment-free model? Yes. You know, I think that the way that, and it, it's funny because, you know, we did end up introducing um, monthly plans, but they're also commitment-free. So you can cancel, upgrade, or downgrade at any time. And the reason that we ended up putting those plans out, as well as what I call our a la carte offerings, is because many of our power guests, right, our power users, wanted a monthly option. And so we put one out there that is now going to be changed to hours connected to, you know, a private office or an open shared workspace. And we can get to some of our offerings um, in in a little bit as well. But I think that because of the variability in our model, fixed revenue isn't as high as it could be, but our variable revenue and our ability to charge slightly more for the a la carte offering and to be able to serve a much larger customer base are the attractive parts of our services and solutions. So if I hear you correctly, I'm hearing that you've got higher revenue because of that and you have more diversification in customers. So if you have churn, it's not as big of a deal. That's right. Right. And, you know, at this point, what we're doing is, Caleb, to give you um, an idea about some of our offerings for context, I think that would be helpful. So our very basic offering, what I'm calling basic, is our hot desks. And so our hot desks start at $5 an hour, and they can go up to $25 for the day. All of our work solutions or work spots on site come with safe and secure Wi-Fi. We've partnered with Cisco Meraki on that. That was a, a big part of our value proposition to guests power outlets galore, unlimited tea, coffee, and water, and shall I say really, really good tea, coffee, and water. That was a part of our value proposition. I mean, good coffee is very important. Trust me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Especially when, when you think about it, our direct competitors are likely our local coffee shops or home. And so if you are going to go work from a coffee shop for really good coffee, can we offer that here as a part of our value proposition, but then give you all the amenities to actually be productive? And then uh, use of our wellness room, our communal kitchen, as well as our lounge area. So basic offering, $5 an hour. Then we have something that we call our our day pass desks. That's $25 for the day. That comes with ergonomic chair, height adjustable desk, secondary monitor, lamps. But literally think of it as your workstation away from home. Then we move into our private offices. Um, So that's $10 an hour, $70 for the day, or $250 unlimited for the month. And then we have our small meeting rooms, which can hold two people for $20 an hour. And then our larger meeting rooms, which can hold up to six people for $35 an hour. And so what we're finding from a consumption pattern is that some people will literally just come in and want to use our meeting rooms. They're holding interviews, they're holding team meetings, they just need a space to spread out. And then we have a lot of creative use cases. So right now we have two beauticians that come and use our meeting rooms 
to do their full makeup application videos and meet with customers. So really unique use cases that we're starting to see in our workspace as well. And so that ability allows anybody and everybody to come in and use our space as it makes sense for them personally and professionally. So I want to talk about that because I think it's interesting that you're appealing to such a variety of of customers, but are you seeing uh, any sort of trends of a certain type of customer is in, in that type might be, it could be the type of work they do. It could be the demographic in terms of, you know, families versus professionals. It could be when I say families, I mean, people who have a family, not the whole family coming in. It it could be people who are just local and they don't want to commute in. Is there a certain trend or is it completely diverse? Yeah, no. Um, So we are starting to see a couple of trends emerge. I'd say our largest guest population are solo entrepreneurs and small business owners. Don't have a dedicated office. They're basement warriors. They were working out of their homes. They were meeting with their customers and clients, again, at some of these like third public spaces. And so they are coming here. They're relocating their business address in some cases to our co-working address. We do have a virtual mailbox set up here and they're running their businesses from our workspaces. So that is our largest population. Then the rest of the mix are either people that are working from home that no longer want to work from home. And so they're willing to get into the car and drive 15 minutes to come and work from here when it makes sense for their lifestyles. And then what we're also seeing, um, to my earlier point, are craft um, people that are in craft traits. So beauticians, media, photography, videography, We have hopefully CPR classes that'll be starting here. We used to have coding classes being operated out of here. We've had music video shoots. And and it's very interesting to see the wide variety of entrepreneurial type activities that are being housed here because the neighborhood has been starved for a place that wasn't a restaurant or a hotel to be able to not only work like from a traditional sense on a laptop, but actually fulfill their craft here in a way that we haven't imagined. So I want to sort of shift the conversation a little bit, picking up on some of the things you've said, but something that's near and dear to my heart, that's brand, because I'm very curious um, from our early conversations to now, how you've developed your brand. And I fundamentally believe that when building a brand in the beginning, you're building an experience around a certain customer, a certain persona that you're trying to support and you're very authentic in the values and, and how you're delivering that experience and you know who you're who you're for and then you attract those people not black and white obviously but i'm curious like you sound like your your customer base is, is diverse have you been intentional around that the brand conversation do you have a brand yet and i don't know if you could just maybe respond to all that yeah, absolutely. And this is this is what I love, right? So I think this is also where we veered in an extremely non-traditional direction. Um, and this is the part that I'm very excited about because we genuinely built a brand that we wanted to become a household name and have it be persona agnostic. And what I mean by that is that we were looking at universal use cases, right? the use case of not wanting to be operating your business from your basement the use case of just needing somewhere that you can go and take a quick call, the universal use case of wanting to, let's say, meet with patients, but not wanting to have to rent out an office to do that. And so what we realized was that we wanted anybody to do anything from here. And that's really where our name came from. We spent a lot of time thinking about from here. And a lot of people are like, why did you name your workspace from here? And we're like, well, we wanted people to do beauty application from here. We wanted them to be able to create their 
drink brand from here. We wanted them to be able to operate CPR classes from here, film a music video from here, meet with patients and customers from here. And so that was a big part about um, our identity was that we wanted to make sure that every person and professional knew that they were welcome to do their best work from here. And so when we are doing our marketing, we're really, again, looking at use cases. We're putting out pain points that are universal. Again, like working from home, having children running around in the background as you're looking to do a virtual call, which I'm sure many parents can relate to. That doorbell ringing continuously, your dog barking in the background, whatever that might be, but that's universal, right? There isn't a demographic or an age group or a professional or income level attached to that. And that was where our brand came from. And that goes back to our commitment-free brand, ensuring that we're lowering the economic barriers to entry to be able to utilize and take advantage of a space like this. You know, that's also why we're only open Monday through Friday from 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. because we're allowing the mornings, evenings, and weekends um, for private um, use of our space. And so we're allowing people to rent our space by the hour to do whatever it is that they want to do from here. And so, you know, I think... Again, you know, if you're an investor, there are probably red flags between our variable revenue model and not having a target demographic. But I think that's what makes our space so attractive to so many people is that they can take their use case and apply it here in real time without us being very prescriptive about what they need to be doing from here or what industry they need to be in or what income level they need to be in. And we are truly as inclusive as it gets from a brand, in my opinion. Well, I, I like the inclusivity aspect of it. I think a, a lot from here is catchy, of course. And I think that um, y- you are developing a brand from that. I would be curious, and you mentioned investor perspective, with the variable revenues, forget real, real estate industry, but just from a, an investor, uh, you know, financing the growth of this, you mentioned franchising, you know, I, I'd be curious to see how the data stacks up in your, your financial model looks as you continue going forward into the next location. And no doubt if you, you know, if this becomes, you know, uber profitable and your equations stack up on your customer acquisition costs and lifetime value of that customer, well, surely why wouldn't you get to raise money? So certainly excited to hear that, but I want to go back to where you are now and you mentioned the other location is coming. Clearly you've had some enough success in this location one to take a punt and take the risk on location two. So tell me about that, bridge that gap for me. Of course. So the irony is actually we signed both leases at the end of 2020. So one in November of 2020 and the other one in December of 2020. And I think just the way that COVID has taken a turn very specifically in the state of New Jersey, the cost of building materials, permitting businesses and government entities stopping and starting with COVID restrictions. So we've had our fair share of slowdowns and business stop because of that. And so we were hoping to launch, um, you know, both of our entities last year, but that just wasn't in the cards for us. And I think in hindsight, this is working in our favor because we're able to take so many learnings from Plainfield. Um, And for context, we opened our Plainfield location in October of 2021, but the immediate application of building it, designing it, getting feedback on our plans, our customer experience, some of the things that now we're doing with the the city of Plainfield to really support the entrepreneurs in this area, but we're slowly but surely building a book Um, what I'm calling our our playbook of how we operate, who we need to hire in our spaces, which is an important thing that maybe you and I should talk about. You know, how do we own and operate it? What do the expenses actually look like? 
And then how do we take this and then reapply it to our second workspace, along with the addition of new services and spaces that we believe will be really attractive. So fast forward, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of construction. In Prince and Junction, we have just shy of 5,000 square feet there. So this is a bigger project, as I mentioned earlier. There, the uniqueness of that workspace is if we've added a 250 square foot full functioning coffee shop. I think you and I <laughs> talked about this, but coffee, we believe is such an important part of the equation. And it's also going to just create a natural customer acquisition funnel for us into the workspace where you can buy a cup of coffee and then Oh, wow, it's attached to a co-working space. Let me go and check it out. Um, there we also have added a podcast room. Um, so if you're ever, ever in New Jersey, Caleb, and need a podcast room, know that you can rent our space, uh, you know, by the hour. Well, the next episode, we're going to shoot at your, at your location. Done. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you on that one. Um, we've also redesigned a part of our workspace to have a true 1500 square foot event space. We are looking at HIPAA compliance to enable right, doctors, therapists, whoever you know is meeting with patients to be able to do that from there. But I think there's so many unique opportunities to, again, continue to serve a much larger professional population and be industry agnostic. So we're very, very excited about that. And we're hoping to launch sometime in September of 2020. That sounds fantastic and exciting. And again, as I said, in the very first conversation we had, the energy you bring to this is fantastic. And I am excited for you. Okay. And as much as this sounds fantastic, I'll say for the third time, this wasn't a piece of cake. So, you know, obviously we had the, we had the COVID, uh, you know, you and I have had some conversations, you know, offline and, you know, just sharing ideas, but I'd love for you to talk about some of the, the big challenges you've had, how you sort of overcome them or, or pivoted around them. At the most basic level, some of our challenges have been awareness and education of even what a, a co-working space is or a shared workspace. You know, right here in, in the city of Plainfield, our initial customers were people that were actively Googling co-working space in my area. And that was our initial set of customers. Now people are finding us because the idea of a shared workspace or a co-working space is becoming socialized. But nine times out of 10, the way that we're finding customers is someone literally walking right past our workspace, looking up, being so surprised by the building, which we boldly painted black, looking inside and, and walking in and being like, is this a restaurant? Is this a private office? But tell us about what you're doing here. And I think what we're finding, and, and the reason that our ramp up is taking a little bit longer than we hoped for here, is that people need to get used to the idea of a co-working space is for everyone. This is how a co-working space can benefit me. This is how I can take advantage of the workspace. But let me tell you, by the time we get people into the door, within the first couple of minutes of our, of our tour, the light bulbs are going off. And they're truly understanding, again, their ability to take what they're doing and allow them to do it from here. Um, but that is one of our biggest challenges, that we're open, that we exist, that we're servicing a larger population and what they can do from here. We're hoping that that obstacle from a customer acquisition perspective will be slightly lower in Prince and Junction, just given the demographic there. You know, and, and I think WeWork has both helped us as well as hurt us in some cases. 
but it gives us an entry point into a conversation with people that understand that model, how we're differing from that model. And again, the value that that model brings, especially when it comes to networking and community. Um, But I'd say that is probably one of our biggest challenges. You and I talked about revenue, right? Fixed versus variable revenue. A lot of our revenue coming into the door, surprisingly, is actually from private events and the events that we are hosting. So we realize that event revenue is going to be a large part of our revenue model moving forward. And so we've doubled down on that to my point about having a more well-designed event space in Princeton Junction. And then I think the other challenge that we are facing, which is an opportunity, is that we're having a lot of in-the-moment walk-ins versus advanced booking. You know, we do have a booking system in place. We've partnered with Nexodus. And we thought that there'd be a lot more advanced bookings coming into the door. But the majority of our customers are making in-the-moment decisions about whether they want to work from home, work from their office, or work from here. And so we literally have people running into the door saying, my meeting is starting in five minutes, my internet shut down, I'm going to hop into our private office. And we have people coming into the door, my printer is failing, can I come here, work from the space, and use your printer? And and can I just jump in? Uh, How are you managing the last minute stuff? I'm I'm curious because... um... You know, we, we've seen this across our portfolio of people, the difference between some people wanting to book in advance versus others wanting to do the last minute stuff. And we're sort of seeing a mix, but how are you facilitating the last minute stuff? Are you, are you just letting people, are you showing them it's available at the moment when they look on, on the app or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So a large part of our model, which I should have brought up earlier, is the hospitality experience. Um, my, my business partner, as I mentioned earlier, Scott Sussman, he comes from co-working and hospitality and operations. And because of our, our commitment-free model, we realize that if people are going to come into the door, what's going to keep them coming into the door is the hospitality experience that they have on site. And so, you know, Caleb, if you were to walk into one of our workspaces, you'd be immediately greeted by a community manager is the term I'll use um, just for, you know, for, for the sake of brevity, um, but you're being checked in by somebody. And so the nice thing in the way that we've set up our technology is within five minutes of walking into the door, we can very quickly assign you a work spot, depending on what your immediate need is get you on our Wi-Fi um, through access token and get you your first cup of coffee and have you on that meeting, if that's what you're here for, within five minutes. And I think that's a large part of our draw and our, our ability to service you in the moment. Yeah, no, we won't get into the details now. I'd love to have a conversation offline and you know, people are probably going to message me saying we should have had the conversation online. But you know, with such a small footprint, you know, one of the big, don't want to call it a red flag, but one of the, the flags that popped up for me was such a small footprint staffing. And I was thinking maybe you didn't staff it and you relied on technology, but you're actually providing that layer of hospitality. So maybe if you could give me like, how are you making the numbers work on that? So, you know, right now, Scott and I are operating um, the business, Scott, more so than I am. And we have an incredible part-time person that we've hired who will convert into a full-time community manager in August. And the way that we are able to do that is because of the numbers that we're slowly starting to see. The technology plays a large role in it, which is why we're able to staff this with one person and have it work um, because of that access token and because of the way that we've kind of reimagined how we want to utilize uh, Nexodus and Cisco Meraki in our space. And because it's small, that front desk person is able to check people in, have those amazing conversations with our staff, right? When you think about it, we are the barista in some cases, you know, we are the bartender in some cases, you know, we're that person at the front desk that when you walk in and you say, this is the experience I want on site and we make that happen. 
but that person is so important to the the type of experience that we want people to come back for. But now, you know, when someone walks in, if if they've been here before, we we've put a face to a name. We know what they're doing. We and can anticipate what their needs are and throw in a keyboard, you know, into one of the meeting rooms. But there is something about anticipating and meeting someone's needs over and over again that makes our model very addictive and sticky. Yeah, I'll just I'll just say love to have a chat offline to dive into how those numbers are looking. Yeah, I want to learn from you as well as you're having success in that sub ten thousand square foot model. I think can work, especially in partnership with hotels. Even though pandemic timing reasons it did previously, the fact that you're going into former retail real estate and doing it so on such a small footprint intrigues me. So having that hospitality layer there is an extra added bonus that I didn't. I wasn't sure it could work. So I really want to uh, kudos to you for making it work. And I want to understand that and unpack that later. You know, as I mentioned, our, our Plainfield office is, you know, tr- a traditional downtown commercial real estate spot that's located amongst the city's restaurants and other small businesses. Our Princeton Junction workspace is where we wanted to do a, a different commercial kind of mix. And so we are in a mixed-use commercial building. So we have 232 almost fully leased apartments that surround our space. And then we are directly underneath people that are living there. Um, Still next to a train station and amongst um, another residential community, we probably have a mix of 1,200 apartments and maybe a couple hundred homes that are directly within walking distance of our workspace. But that's an important model that we want to test is if people are living right above and around us, does it make it more likely for them to want to come and work from our space and are reducing some of the friction around commute time? That right there is key to me. And I think that's probably the silver bullet here of this whole podcast is getting that you basically, you're solving the the thing that, that, that keeps being said about taking the office to the people instead of the people to the office. And people want to work from home. They want the choice to work from home, but they don't want to work from home all the time. Maybe not everybody, but some people. And having the ability to go into a local place nearby, I think, is is key. So fantastic. So you're going to franchise this, is what you said earlier. That's the hope. I think we'll try to open up another one or two on our own. We want to do a little bit more what I call A-B testing with different commercial types. So, you know, if I'm going to put some positive thoughts out there in the universe, we do want to see if we can find a hotel partnership for one of our locations. You know, we are looking to think about a couple of different real estate models, um, whether it be a space in a space, you know, but, but we want to get really creative because our goal is to, to create a model that regardless of where it's situated, we want everyone to be pay the same amount of money, which is something I should have brought up earlier, but whether you work from here in Plainfield or you work from here in Princeton Junction, the pricing is the same. We want to create this network of neighborhood workspaces that again, all have some difference, maybe services and things like that. But the overall experience, the price point and what you can expect is consistent. And consistency is one of the most important things that go into a franchise and the ability to replicate that experience, regardless of where you're situated and the type of community or neighborhood that you're serving. Well, I don't want to end this podcast without sharing your latest news, because when you were telling me about this, this is like something I'm really passionate about and that's entrepreneurs and in supporting the creators and innovators. So I don't want to steal your thunder. So please tell us about that. I think the most exciting, you know, piece of news that we have to share for this year is that we have officially launched an accelerator program with the city of Plainfield. We are calling it the Queen City Innovation Hub. 
And the reason that it's so exciting for us is because we believe that this is a very unique partnership, right? A public and private partnership to truly support the entrepreneurs out here in, in the suburban neighborhoods. And our goal through this partnership with the city is to create a year-long program that provides these people that get into the program free workspace, right? Which I think you and I can maybe in a very biased way say that, you know, space itself is probably one of the most important things that people need to do their best work and and to be successful, giving them the network in the community to make that happen. As a part of the program, there'll be a ton of free programming. So workshops, round tables, boost camps, that we're doing in partnership with different state agencies, city agencies, colleges, as well as, again, just other, you know, people in the space that, that have topics that they're very passionate about that can help these entrepreneurs set up and flourish their businesses from here, and as well as a wide variety of different business memberships. And so our goal is to hopefully launch this again in September of this year. Um, we are actively raising $100,000 with the city. The city has committed $25,000 in their budget towards this program for this year. And so we are in partnership with other businesses in and around the city, looking to create a program for the city, by the city, for the city's entrepreneurs. So something really powerful just to be said about there. The goal for us is to ensure that people don't leave to leave their neighborhoods to start their businesses. I think there's a large misconception that you need to be in New York or, you know, be in London or be in Austin or be in San Francisco to start a startup and be successful. And we want to provide those resources very locally to allow people to establish themselves within their home facilities, but have everything that they need to actually be successful here. Well, you know, I believe that space is, like you said, is is sort of the core feature here, but it's just a feature of of what we're doing. The, the what what you do, what I do as operators is we help other people succeed. We help them be successful and we provide them with the, the tools they need to do that. And on, on demand, clearly, like, you know, you're talking about booking space on demand here, but it's not just about the space. It's about what do, what do they need? And, and you're giving them the tools, the workshops, the capital necessary for them to be able to grow their business, start their business, bring their ideas to life. So I think that's fantastic. It's phenomenal. Let me just take a step back and say, that you should pat yourself on the back because to do a deal like that with a city, it's a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Considering, you're, you know, you're, you're a startup still, you're not, you know, yeah. you are a startup yourself. You know, to be fair, when I started this journey, I didn't even have a deck. I started making random phone calls to real estate agents and finding anybody that would pick up the phone and, and listen to me. And I think at the time, everyone was starved for customers and, you know, commercial real estate, as we all know, took an interesting turn <laughs> at some point, you know, and it was just an idea. And then the idea became a, a mediocre deck. And then the deck became, you know, a vision. And even before Scott and I had a workspace, we had partnered with brands like Ikea and Han and Poppin and Best Buy and Barco and Logitech and everyone else that I, I just want to thank, you know, to that, that brought us here. Um, and they provided us with either, um, you know, free services or materials or furniture and were heavily subsidized because we literally couldn't put a dime to our names, you know, back, back in the day. And so we are a product of all of the people that saw the vision and saw what we wanted to do very specifically neighborhood by neighborhood. You know, the majority of our customers here, they, they're, they're somewhere within a 15 minute radius of our workspace. And yes, we get those amazing transplants who stopped at Newark, found us and came and worked from here for the day between flights, which is a part of our vision. But we are very thoroughly 
servicing this neighborhood. And so to go to a city government and say, look, one, we want to stay open, right? We're still having some challenges very openly, right, with our revenue. And, you know, people can't afford necessarily our space right now just because of their own, you know, job prospects and the way that inflation is, has hit the U.S. market very, very heavily. I will openly state that we are luxury. We're not a necessity in some cases. And so to go to the city and say, look, we don't want to shut our doors at the end of this year. We see the value that our space is providing to people. And we want to partner with you because for all the entrepreneurs that want to use our space but can't afford it, what can we do there? For all the entrepreneurs that are out there that we know need the funding, the support, the resources, the network, but don't know where to start, what can we do with them? Because we struggled through it, right? We worked very closely with the New Jersey Economic Development Agency to get very necessary funding to keep our lights on. But I had to learn all of that on my own. And we don't want everyone to have to do that too. So how can we pull together the resources, the knowledge that Scott and I have gone through personally and make that more readily available, but have the city and have the state support it. So that way we can get the funding, we can get you know, the, the necessary sponsorship that we need to actually provide the service to other people. And the city loved it, right? They want to be an economic development hub. And this allows us to be a part of the city's vision to do just that. Um, and so we're going to bring this pay book to West Windsor Township. And our goal is to really enable any co-working operator out there to pick up our playbook, to talk to their city and their mayor and say, can we do this for our local entrepreneurs? So again, people don't need to leave the vicinity of their homes to take advantage of the workspace and everything that comes with it. hundred percent. And I think the fact that you're bringing this passion and you lived it and breathed it, it's, an, it's authentic to your story. So yeah, I have no doubt you're going to be massively successful with this. I still want to see the numbers, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think I think you're 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 on your the storytelling's right. I think that you're building the brand the right way. There is demand from people who don't want to go into a city center but want to work close to home. They don't want just to work from their home office. They have a home office, so I, I think you've got a lot of the ingredients there. If you are opening up these next few locations and they're as successful as we think they're going to be, and you start franchising this, are you going to franchise the accelerator model as well? Yes. Yes. You know, I think, um, you know, as we're building our playbooks, especially because we want to stay true to our commitment free model, you know, I think that's what I keep going back to because of, of how much that has been a part of our core of what we are looking to do here in order to make a commitment free, we need to make sure that we provide as many revenue channels to our hopeful, you know, one day future franchisee operators to be able to ensure that they have a playbook that outlines what they can do just for the a la carte customers, how they can partner with their local city and government to create a program that supports both themselves as well as the residents and the businesses of that city. As I mentioned before, our event revenue and how we're thinking about this as an event space for private events. Uh, you know, we had a 50th birthday party here. Like this is the type of things that are happening here that again are profitable and scalable. And then, you know, I think for us, it's, you know, what else is out there that we can help quantify, create program around, and again, continue to add to our playbook, allow our franchisees to decide based on the neighborhoods that they're focused on and the type of commercial real estate that they're eyeing and the square footage of that space, what to bring in to ensure that they are successful. And it does take, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking at census data, you know, the types of industries that are in these neighborhoods, 
hearing and listening our guests. Every person that comes into the door, we know what they're doing, what their side hustle is, how they're making revenue, what their need is, and figuring out ways to support them. But you have to become the eyes and ears of your neighborhood professionals in order to can then continue to adapt and change and add services and solutions that make sense for the neighborhood. And here, very clearly, an accelerator program, what we're calling an accelerator program, but really the underlying foundation of funding, resources, workspace, these are critical life-changing things that people need to run their businesses and start their businesses. And so I think that has to be a large part of our playbook and what we're offering people in order to ensure that they're successful um, so we can stick again to our, our non-commitment, commitment-free model. I'm just really excited for you. I want to come visit and hopefully I can come visit before you are franchised out all the way to the UK and then I'll just visit here. Um, no, we, I, you know, I hope, uh, you know, more than anything, I think Caleb, you know, as you and I have talked over what feels like yesterday, but I guess in reality has been years at this point is that it, I think that you and I can agree that space has this magical quality of allowing people to find what their purpose in life is sometimes to support, you know, their mental and physical well-being, um, to give them community, to just give them a place to go that isn't their homes. Right. And there's something so powerful about that. On the flip side, I think it really challenges particularly commercial real estate landowners to continue to reinvent the way that they're thinking about their downtown communities, that mix of, you know, a strip mall in New Jersey. You can have a Jamba Juice, you can have a Starbucks, you can have an anthropology, you can have an Orange Theory Fitness, and now you can have a from here. And you're meeting both the personal um, as well as the work demands of the neighborhoods that you are servicing. And there's something so powerful about being able to work, live, and dine and play within 15 minutes of, of where you reside. You know, and we want to be a part of that future and a part of that change and ensuring that, that people just have somewhere where they can go that isn't a coffee shop, that isn't a library to meet, study, work, and connect. Okay. So where can people connect with you to learn more about your franchising? So if you want to reach out to us or continue to follow our journey, you can visit our website, www.fromhere.today, and also our Instagram handle at fromhere.today. Excellent. And we'll put the links in the show notes so people can go find you. And on LinkedIn, we'll put the link to your LinkedIn if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And we are have to do an update as you get further into this next location, because I want to, I want to keep up to date and share your story with No, everyone. absolutely. And I, I look forward to talking with you again, Caleb. I think more than anything, we want to put out as much learnings as we can out there so other operators can take advantage of what we're doing and, you know, and iterate on it and maybe teach us something. So we look forward to continuing to put that knowledge and, and uh, learnings out there. Awesome. Thanks so much. And now the final break to complete the story of how TSK helped Kellogg's create their workplace of the future. This time in the words of Kellogg's, which means I have to mention, I had a chance to meet Kellogg's European facilities manager, Derek McDonald, on a recent trip to Manchester, England. Let's hear what he and his team have to say. 
we found that we had a natural attrition rate where people, once we opened the office, with no pressure, they started to come back in. Now, when you walk in the door here, the flavor that you get, you see all the branding, you see how light and airy and spacious it is. There's so many different spaces to work in, not just standard desks. It just really, really works very well. When we saw it come to life, it was really interesting because you never really think it's going to look like it's going to in the picture, but it did. You definitely know it's a Kellogg's building when you walk into this floor and I love the reaction of everybody who comes here. It's nice to now be proud of a workspace. When you look at the design of the office, TSK really understood that from where our culture is to where we wanted to be. We wanted people mingling, we wanted people to get to know each other and it's very evident in the layouts, the designs and when you look at our brands and our colours and our phone and our, our product, that's evident here. And that was great working with a team that understood what we were about, what we wanted. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and remember, fortune favours the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.